0: Uh, this finishes our Conversations uh, with Jesus, Great Conversations with Jesus series. I started the first Sunday in April, and we've worked our way through conversation. Now, there's all kind of conversations. Jesus is more personal in when he converses with people than what we realize when you read the Bible. He's always talking to individuals, dealing with individuals. Whether well, it's a woman who had a daughter demon-possessed up in the Syrophoenician Phoenician, Uh, Area and and, uh, begged Jesus to deliver her daughter. You know, these are just individual conversations that Jesus had. And, of course, if you're there at John 21, this is a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Um, In the last part of chapter 20, I want to read two verses and just read into chapter 21 without breaking there because sometimes we got these divisions and we think it all starts a new thought or new information. But this is a flowing of Jesus' appearances to his disciples post-generation or post-resurrection. John 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this time by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which Their names are James and John, and one of them is the author of this book. And two other disciples were with them, and I don't know why John didn't name them, but they were there. Now, Jesus knows where Peter is at this moment. Just like last Sunday when we talked about the conversation Jesus had with Thomas. By the way, um, I appreciate someone coming up and telling me, on behalf of all of the people named Thomas, thank you. So you can figure out who came up and said that to me. Uh, We've had this adjective attached to our name too long. But uh, lo and behold, Thomas is in this one as well. But he he knew that Thomas, Jesus knew what Thomas said after the disciples tried to tell him he's alive. And so when he gets to that meeting, he directs this personal conversation to Thomas because he's the one that needed to have some things happen in his life. Even though this is an appearance Jesus has with seven disciples in total, you'll see that he begins his focus. When, he, when he's doing this, his focus is on Peter. And he knows what Peter is thinking. He knows where he's at. He's know, he knows what he's going through. And he knows that after appearing to Peter twice, in a matter of eight days, that he has not seen the Lord Jesus alive since those two meetings. And we have no idea how long of a period of time. Just remember the 40 days Jesus made himself real to his disciples. Not every day. Not every week. He just appeared a handful of times. He's already appeared to them twice. Now, John says this is his third appearance. Later on, if you read, this is his third time to appear to them. So he knows something's going on with Peter, where he's at. And so he's there. He knows what's in his mind. He knows whether he's having like the what now thoughts or we haven't seen Jesus in a while. What's going on here? What do we do? And so the very next verse in verse 3, Peter blurts out to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And I mean, you know that's a good thing to do. <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're at a point where you just need something to relax, just go fishing. But this was not just a statement to do a hobby. That he, This was his livelihood. This is, this is what he used to do before he became a follower, learner, disciple, apostle with Jesus. So he says this in verse 3, I'm going fishing. And the other disciple says, we'll go in, we're going with you. And so they went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, I'm going to help you with these seven men going out Fishing, so I'm going to let Sloan help me here. I I brought up a prop. We're going to measure out. We're going to see if people measure up. How's that? But I want you to let Jim hold the end of that, and I want you to come this way. How many have heard of the Jesus boat? One person? How many have heard of the Jesus boat? Did you actually? No? No one's heard of the Jesus boat? 1986, this historic archaeological find? Accidentally, anyone? No one? Okay, over here. You've heard of it. Good. Uh, you Google this. You just need to Google. It's such a cool video. Uh, let me just give you a quick synopsis. 1986, these men lived in a kibbutz. This is a Jewish community near what is the old Magdala town along the western shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. That's the name. That's the town that Mary is from. Thus she was called Mary Magdalene. Mary from Magdala. So near that town, there was a two-year drought and the water table got really low on the Sea of Galilee and there stood these pieces of wood sticking up out of the mud. It turned out to be... A boat dated 2,000 years ago that was a common fishing boat. Now, I could take too much of this service to tell you how they preserved it. You just need to Google it and watch some of the videos. It is phenomenal. The, the size of this boat, and this is what I want, Sloan to help me with it, is 27 feet. Now, this is a 25-foot ruler, so you're going to go this way, at least 25 feet, and then figure two more feet. When you get, what kind of ruler is this? I, I don't know. What do you got? <laughs> well, it's 25 at 25, the 25 end. 25 at the end. Here's 25. Ron Woods, how do you read this thing? All right. Take it back to the end seat there. You sure this is a 25? F- it says 300 inches. Now, this, this building is only 40 feet wide, so I don't know. Somebody give me uh, how many feet is in, uh, or how many inches in 27 feet. Somebody. Yep, 25. That's 25 feet? 25. Well, all right. Two. And two more. two more. Just step that way. Two more. Let go. You can let go of it. Yeah. Okay. That is how long a common fishing boat. Stay right there. I'm not finished. It kind of messes you up, don't it? Yes, it does. All right. Seven feet. We're going to go. Somebody, keep keep taking it back that way. That's about right. What's Somewhere along in there. This is a weird tape measure. All right. This, this is, think about it. This is how wide this fishing boat is. Four feet high on the sides. Now, have you ever wondered how Jesus, how Jesus and 12 disciples got in one of those boats to go across the Sea of Galilee? I mean, look how many people have, I'm sure they just weren't all sitting in chairs on that boat this is the kind of boat that Peter says let's go fishing easy accommodating. thank you man easy to accommodate seven men and plus they had oars on there they had a mask with a sail this was a this was a, a professional fisherman's boat it was uh, equipped so that they could Pull nets behind it. So, this one, he didn't say, Let's go with our rod and reels and our poles and let's go fishing. That's not how they fish. That's not, that's not how professional fishermen fish unless they're in the freshwater bass competition. They pulled nets and they fished all night. Follow this story with me. They fished all night and they had caught zero. And this is not people fishing with lures and the fish just aren't biting. This is where you can catch just about anything in the net if you're pulling it. Now, fancy this. Why do you think they didn't catch anything that night? Was that just coincidental? Do you think maybe somebody knew they they were not going to catch anything that night? Or maybe could God be in the midst of one's futility? Could it be that God made sure... And I know some of you are thinking, about that, I said, that's why I didn't catch anything when I went fishing. <laughs> God was making sure he just wanted to teach me something. Well, this is going to be a life lesson for these men. But I really believe that it wasn't coincidental. This was not just a fishing expedition. This was Jesus arranging the right setting and the right moment and the right surrounding for one conversation that he was going to have with Peter. So he, he yells out to them, um, this is around verse 4, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? It's daylight. And they said, no. And so he's like 100 yards from them. They don't, they, they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. This is this guy on the shoreline at daylight. Do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? No. Try throwing your net on the right side of the boat. <laughs> don't you love this? Now I don't know what their conversation was like. What does that guy know? You know? We're the fishermen. We know. We've worked all night. We think we know where the fish are. We're just chasing them around this lake, the sea, and so they they throw the net on the right side of the boat, and when they went to pool, like wow. Is it stuck or is this is this real? Now later on the count is given 153 fish. And it says also that these were not small, this these were rather large fish that they isn't it neat that God just congregated 153 really good fish for their net. To, I mean, whatever explanation you could have even even though that this is god doing it so john looks to peter and he says this it's the lord well that was a reach wasn't it it's the lord i don't think peter had to be told that peter throws on his outside garment and he dives in and he swims a hundred yards to the shoreline where jesus is and when he gets there if you follow the scripture In verse 9, Jesus has a fire going. He's built a fire. And on the fire, he's grilling fish. And he's also prepared some bread. He's fixing them breakfast. Now, that's a southern word, fixing. He is preparing breakfast for these seven disciples. And in verse 10... You know, he, 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 Peter jumps back in the boat and helps them. They drag it. They cannot pull the net out of the water. wonder why. And even John writes this. The net, even though it had all of this in it, did not break, which was kind of like saying this net should have been past its capacity. It should have started coming apart. But that's another part of the miracle that the net didn't give way. And so they were having to drag the net with the buoyancy of the fish in the water, taking away the weight, and so they're dragging the net, and finally Peter gets in the boat, and he helps them get the net to the shore. That's when they find out there's 153 fish. And Jesus says he calls for more fish, and maybe he hadn't cooked enough for all seven of them, so there he's cooking this meal for them. And I think this is teaching. He's teaching them about what is in their future. I don't think he was against them going fishing. Now, some people think that Peter was like, I've had it with this. I hadn't seen Jesus in a while, so I'm going back to my occupation. Who knows what his motive? I don't think that was his motive, but probably it was okay for them to go fishing. Jesus never said you shouldn't have done this, shouldn't be out here fishing. Why aren't you out here ministering? Why aren't you in prayer? Why aren't you doing Bible study? Why aren't you doing something other than out here fishing? He did not say that. But when he starts dealing with them, you can see that he's using this as a teaching moment. He's getting them ready for what's ahead of them. And what was not ahead of them was a lucrative future as a professional fisherman. Because whatever the market price of that catch was, it launched their ministry off in pretty good shape. Or they may, may have given it to the people around town but he's about to get personal here, and this is where I want you. We're not even in the conversation yet, but I think it's important for us to say that Jesus knew what they were doing. He knew why they were doing what they were doing, and he's about to get real personal. And what a scene is this. What a scene. I thought about this picture. Jesus built a fire, and he's got fish grilling. He's resurrected. He's resurrected. Like he could say, fish appear. That's the way we think maybe, no. Whether he caught him and he had somebody else, you know, he, you know, I don't know how he got the fish. But think about the picture that we see in this scene. He is cooking fish and baking bread and has it ready for them, and he's going to serve them breakfast. If there's ever a photo or a picture that should embarrass our celebrity-driven society of professional clergy, that's it. Because in our day and time, somebody would rush up to him and says, "Uh, don't do that. We'll do that. Get out of the way. Go over here and tell us what happened while your body was in the tomb and where your spirit was. Teach us some deep things. You you, you don't have to do the menial task of fixing this fish for us. We'll take over from here. And the neat thing about it, John just kind of like, they know it's him, but they're not saying anything. Isn't that neat? They're like coy about it. We know who you are. Well, we're not going to say anything. We're just going to act like you're you without us saying it's him. And so he finishes preparing their meal. And after they have eaten, this is down in verse 15, because... He's about to get real personal with especially one guy in the group. I like it that he lets him finish breakfast first. He probably would have taken Peter's appetite away from him if he had done this before he finished eating. He waits until all of them had eaten breakfast. Isn't that what verse 15 says? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, you know this, but I'm going to read it again for you because we're going to touch on this a little bit more in detail Simon son of John John, do you love me more than these and John could also be Jonas or, or Jonah yes Lord he says you know I love you and Jesus said feed my lambs Jesus said Simon son of John do you love me and he answered yes Lord you know that I love you take care of my sheep the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and this is kind of hurting Peter's feelings. You know, in today's uh, church culture, he would say, all right, I'm out of here. You hurt my feelings. I'm done. I'm going to go get some counseling. And maybe, just maybe, maybe, maybe I'll come back next week when I think about it and you apologize to me for hurting my feelings. Well, I'm just saying it could have happened. But Peter was, Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him three times, a third time in front of everybody. You, that's just not good, is it, for you to be challenged about, do you really love him? Yeah, you know I love you. Yes, I love you. And he had to ask it a third time. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, I want you to look at the three times here, and if you want to jot down a few things, you might want to jot down there's some differences here that you see it's translated a little different. First of all, let's just go to the questions. Jesus speaks to Peter and refers to Peter's father. He refers to the context of Peter's life. And he says, do you love me? And the first one is a little bit different. What do you see different in the first question? He adds something to the first question that's not in the next two questions. Who said more, more than these? The word more is, a, is in the context of quality, a higher quality. And he's asking him, and, and this could apply two different ways. He's asking him, do you love me at a higher level than these other men you're with? Or do you love me at a higher level than you love these guys that you're with? could have been applied either way. But he is putting this in a comparative mode for Peter. He says, more than these. In some way, he's wanting Peter to identify where does Jesus rank in how you love? Do you love me at a higher quality than these? And Peter replied, Lord, you know that. You know it. You already know the answer to that. You know I love you. And then he comes back says Peter do you love me? And he's using his name every time and he's referring to his father's name. Do you love me? And he expands Peter expands his response on that last question, he says, "Lord, you know everything. There's nothing hid from you. You know my heart. You know what, you know why I'm out here. You know the answer to that. You know that I love you. Now, a lot of people preach on the two different words for love here, and that is a phenomenal study. But that's not my focus. Here's my, what my focus is in this latter part of this message. Jesus has a purpose for Peter. His purpose for Peter is different than his purpose for these other guys. It wasn't that what his plan for them didn't matter, but he knew that Peter had leadership written all over him. And he needed Peter. He needed to be at his optimum. And maybe some people say he, you know, maybe Peter is still bummed out for denying Jesus three times and the last time swearing, as he was saying. I don't know them. I don't know him. And he it, and it, it just crashed. He was broken. And maybe those three times, there probably is some kind of connection there. But Peter's response on that last time, Lord, you know everything. And so he's preparing Peter to be a leader. And Peter is a leader. He's decisive. Who was it? Whose idea was it to go fishing? It's Peter. And what were the reactions of the other men? Hey, that's all you need to know. Just look at a playground of kids and the little girl that's bossing everybody around, she's the leader. It's true, it's just natural. Kelly was, was the boss. She tried to be our boss, too, and she was a little bit, but I had to, had to explain that to her. We're the parents, you're the child. We tell you what to do. But any other in her peer level, anywhere near there, she was in charge of them. This is what we're going to do. We're not asking what you want to do. This is what I want to do. And this is Peter. said, so I'm going fishing. They all go with him. And, and he's, he's that way. Does he make mistakes? Yes, but he makes mistakes because he's, he's got an opinion. He's got an idea, and he goes with it. And Jesus needed that. He wasn't going to disqualify him from messing up. He's going to go with that. And so here he is. How, how does the Lord use Peter when the birth of the church? He preaches the first sermon. And he is the one who breaks the ice with Gentile people. Reluctantly, but, you know, he, he accepted it. You know, the Lord really pressed him, but he says, you're going to the Gentiles' house, and you're going to tell them about me. And when Saul of Tarsus got saved, nobody, had, nobody really wanted anything to do and thought it was a big trick. He was going to arrest us. You know, we don't trust him. He's, You know his reputation. And Peter was one of the few people that reached out and embraced him, and they enjoyed a great friendship after that. But here's why I want you to focus. The three questions and Peter's response and what was Jesus' response. First response is what? Feed my... What translation do you have that says lambs? All right? It's the actual word for a small lamb. He's actually telling him Feed those who are the most vulnerable to having things wrecked in their life. Feed the new converts. Disciple them who come to faith. Feed them that don't know how to live this life. Disciple them. Feed them. And then the next go around, it says, I think he says, take care of my sheep. All right. Interesting change of words here. It's like the word for herd. It could be a herd of cows. It could be a herd of sheep. It could be. It's a herd. It's a herdsman, and he's actually using the word poiman, which means we we, we don't have a, a Greek word for pastors, but this is the word used for pastors in Ephesians four eleven when Paul says and he has a, a appointed some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors. It's poiman. It's the same word he's telling Peter be the pastor of my flock don't just just feed individuals but be an oversight of the flock that gathers in that flock that was launched with 2,000 converts on the day of Pentecost and he says feed them be an oversight of them and the last one he switches it up a little bit he chooses the word feed from the first one and the word for flock from the second one and he combines those two These three, uh, you know, directives that Jesus gives Peter are all different. The last one he says, now feed the flock. Not just oversee them, but feed them. Why is this important? I'm glad you asked that. Because what does Jesus connect with Peter's feeding believers? What does he connect? He connects his heart with his functionality. He wanted to know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then do this. Because you see, you cannot have a desire to feed the sheep on a consistent basis if you're not in love with me. Because these are not your sheep. What did he say? These are my sheep. This is the Lord's church. You know, we get kind of offline when we start talking about my church and our church. No, it's his church. And it's just one church. Maybe in different buildings and different persuasions theologically and all of this, but it's just one church. How many churches are in Tuscaloosa? Well, the answer is one. One church. There's not many churches. There's one church. Jesus said, I will build my church, singular, not plural. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does this fit humanity or what? That we start identifying our worth by what we're doing instead of identifying how much we love Jesus by what we do. Do we get our worth from our titles and from our our functions? Or do we get our worth from that that function is connected to the person of Christ and it's his purpose that we be used in that capacity? So, therefore, the call of God is not really our call. It's God's call. What is the motivation for ministry? This is is the conversation of the heart. He's actually testing Peter's heart. He's actually saying, "What's, what's in your heart, Peter? Do you have an unquenchable love for me? Yeah. Sure I do. You know that. Then do my work. This is so important today, especially in Western church activity, is because we check off Sunday, and that's it. We, we're done. Or we check off Wednesday night, we're done. And we're, we're really good if we check off Wednesday night. We're like twice more sanctified if we make it back for Wednesday night but do you see the pattern we've gotten into is it a relationship is it a relationship with Jesus and this is what this is what he's pressing Peter about these men my rivals do I have to deal with your relationship with these people that you're fishing with or am I more important than them What is the rival in your heart, Peter, that challenges your relationship with me? Is it memories of fishing? Is it memories of having freedom of ministry, freedom from dealing with problems and people? I've never looked at ministry as a burden that I must bear. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. And if there's a song that captures me, it's like the, the last song we did in worship. Jesus, we love you. Our Jesus culture, my soul longs for you, Lord. My soul thirsts for you. People will do what they do out of love. Are you hearing me? People will do what they love to do. You can do what you don't love to do if there's a deep enough motivation like getting paid every Friday and like paying your house payment or your light bill. You can deal with a bad problem at your work, but the motivation is not out of love. It's out of life necessity. And the Lord wants Peter to have a motivation not out of a compulsion, I'm pressing you, I'm requiring you to do this, but do you love me? And if you love me, you will do for my sheep like I want you to. District Council was amazing. Amazing prophetic. And uh, I had a conversation with a couple of people about it. I, I just knew as we were going through District Council, this is not good for traditional, classical, orthodox Pentecostals, because it's strained the daylight out of people. Scott Wilson just stretched people like, I know that this is people that I'm related to. I said, this is not going over well with them. But I said, this is prophetic. This is of God. This is, this is how, you know, sometimes we create our own normal, Right? You know what the normal was in the Welch Revival? You know how their services started in the Welch Revival? People got to church much earlier than the advertised service time to start. And they were singing before anybody was on the platform or anybody was leading them. They were got these songs going. They just had this awesome love for God. Was, that was their new norm. And the new norm for the city was the judges had no one to put in jail because all the thugs were getting saved. It's true. All the miners that was down in those mines were getting saved. They had to teach the donkeys and animals that pulled those coal carts out of there different commands because they stopped using profanity and the donkeys didn't know what to do. I'm not kidding you. You can look it up and read about it. It was such an incredible move of God that the police main job was to direct traffic around all of the churches. And so we, we have these norms that we create. And God wants to give you a new norm. And God wants to challenge each of us this morning like he did Peter. Do you love me? And if you love me, what are you doing? Are you supposed to be doing something? Maybe it's going down and talking to one of those people over 65. Not necessarily older people, but just over 65. Maybe maybe there's something you can do. Maybe maybe there's someone you can encourage. Maybe there's someone you can pray with. Maybe, just maybe. But if we're not living in a vibrant love relationship with Jesus, how can we be motivated to do anything? And if we are motivated, like, for what? For the praise of men? That don't last very long. That gets old really quick. But if we're motivated by the Lord... I want, I wish, I wish we'd had planned for communion this morning because I just wish and pray, God, could we just all be on the same page with you that you can speak something to us? I wrote some things down that God spoke to me during the district council. And I'm telling you, my sister Ruth got a prophetic word in a little group that, the little groups that was created, That everybody in her group that didn't know her had no idea what the word of, it wasn't for Ruth, it was for Becky. I, I'm correct. Becky just lost her husband, and this lady gave a prophetic word for Becky. It's amazing. It just, it just lifted her. You know what it told her? It reminded her that God knew that she was grieving for her husband. And he had a plan for her. It was off the chart. Praise God. So here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to close the service. I want you to stand with me. What is God's purpose? This kind of, can you ask yourself, well, let me do it this way. Because this is what Scott Martin says. Pray. He asked everybody to come to the altar. And I ended up kneeling down to Michael. Icky's from Calvary. And I, I asked the Lord those two questions. What do you want me to do, Lord? And how do you want me to do it? And I mean, it boomed inside of me. And I wrote it down. It, it just captured me. We're going to play this song. And, and if you don't want to come down to the front, I'd like for you to just, if you just sit and say... Lord, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to do it? But also, this idea I don't want anything rivaling you in my life. Powerful song. Lord, I pray this morning as we finish this service. And I pray for those who are here and they're just wrestling with their faith. And is this all real? You know, does this work? And they're at a point where they just need some kind of means of affirmation that we're not making this up. You really do speak to us. You really want to speak to us. You want to speak to every single one in this room because you have your hand on us and you have a purpose for each of us. And it's not the same for any two people. We may be doing some of the same things, but you have a specific purpose for every one of us in this room. And I pray, Lord, you'll speak so clearly that they'll have to get a pen and write it down. I want you to tell me what you want me to do. What do you want me to do? Lord, how do you want me to do it? In Jesus' name, amen. And as this plays, I want you to find a place of prayer. You can come to the front. And... Uh, this is to conclude our service. You are the word at the beginning.